What about your situation, Sol? Will you be staying at Tottenham? I'm staying. Hello, welcome. Sol Campbell is a hero. Um, the other man who was a hero for Arsenal this week was um, the, a man by the name of Serge Gnabry. Don't know if you've heard of him. Um, uh, Spurs, any 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 recollection of the name from a Spurs point of view? That nothing comes up. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but yes, yeah, Spurs had an interesting week. Um, they are probably one of the worst teams in the world right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they've lost seven two to Bayern Munich, followed by three nil to Brighton. <laughs> Oh, oh! What a joy it is to see. I mean, I, I'm, I'm speechless. I think you could say it's probably one of the worst weeks. I, I said that after the Bayern game, it's one of the worst matches I've seen at Spurs, and they've managed to top it. So, well done to that. Ten goals <laughs> in a week. Ten... Never doubt Spurs. <laughs> believe, believe in Poch. Actually, no, you, I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not blaming Poch. I'm not going there yet. Um, but it's it's horrible to be taking taking uh, abuse like this from from Arsenal fans after we just got battered by Brighton. Like they don't they hadn't scored or something. There was all these stats that they they scored like once before this before every team we play against goes turns from like Newcastle turn into turn into some sort of world beating team when they when they play us. Um, Brighton turn into Brightalona <laughs> when they play us. Andrew Connolly turned into a little Lionel Messi. It's got um, just everything is going wrong at Tottenham. It's not a great time to be. Yeah, you know, and the thing that made it worse was, was that um, that Hugo Lloris, who had a difficult last couple of games, considering he'd made a huge mistake against Southampton, um, he then not 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 his fault, but he they then conceded seven against Bayern Munich, and then. <laughs> The opening goal against Brighton was completely his fault, and now he's been injured for the rest of the season. He's out for. I don't know about the rest of the season. For the rest of the calendar no. year, which is what which is what well, Didier Deschamps. For, oh, just for the said. rest of sorry, for the rest of 2019. Yeah. He's now out for the rest of the next few months, which is quite a big blow for Spurs, which means they're down to one goalkeeper who hasn't really proven himself much. That's not true. Gazzini's um, very good. He's not really. I'm saying he's a, he's a, he's decent. He's a backup though. There's a reason why he doesn't start. Um, but yeah, I think Spurs are a bit of a mess. Like well, defensively, Spurs have been poor, and that was kind of Spurs' biggest biggest thing for them was defense, and they've looked horrible, especially at right back. I mean that right that, that right back position. No one really knows what's happening. But he, like, I mean, Ori wasn't Ori suspended, so he couldn't play this week. We had Sissoko there, who I didn't think was that too right bad. That helps. It could have been a lot worse if Ori was playing. It's true. I mean, but you, you can't really put it down at this point to one position. Like that whole the whole team who played against played against Brighton. I mean, barring let's say Kane and Kane Winks, um, I can't think of anyone else who shouldn't be ashamed of themselves to be playing that game. It was, it was a lazy performance. Players looked like they couldn't be bothered to be there. Um, it was horrific. Really, really horrific to watch. And I think we should also talk about um, Hugo Lloris. As well. You mentioned him just now before. But um, it, it, this is a thing where, where clubs should... Um, 
club rivalry should go out, out the window and we should wish we get, get well soon to Hugo Lloris. It looked a really, really bad injury. He was, people who were at the stadium um, in the way end heard him like screaming. It was pretty, pretty bad stuff. If you've seen the images, it's not great to look at. Um, get well soon, Hugo Lloris. Well, yeah. Good luck to Lloris. But um, it's not the end of the world for him. Like Players get injured all the time and is, no one wishes to, injuries on people. He's quite old, though. No one wishes injuries on people. Yeah. Uh, he's old, yeah, but goalkeepers are kind of notorious for being a bit older in their prime than everyone else. So, like, 34 is kind of your kind of 30 in the age, let's say, of a outfield player. Um, so he's still... He's getting there, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not wishing an injury on him, but um, good luck to him and get well soon. Uh, but um, yeah, I feel like Spurs might need to get a replacement goalkeeper at some point, but I think the main position that needed replacing was right back because with Aurier there, he didn't do a very, hasn't done a very good job so far. Um, he missed the first few games of the season, it then realised that it, it, him coming in didn't actually make things any better. In fact, it probably made things worse. And Sissoko was who filled the role there against Brighton. But that just, he didn't work out either because Brighton just kept on attacking down that side and all their, and their goals basically came from attacking a non-right-back player who's playing at right-back. Uh, so I don't know like what Spurs can do now. I think that's unfair that to, blame the goal, to blame the goals on them attacking Sissoko. Um, but I think that before the game, I was seeing some people talking about Eric Dyer as a solution to, to, to Tottenham's defensive woes. And they, they, did, they did have a point because Eric Dyer on form, Eric Dyer as a normal player, uh, uh, doing his role effectively, covers and, and protects the back four, which have been needed, in some, needed some urgent protection over the last few weeks. Um, but Dyer just didn't look the player he was. I'm saying he wasn't that great of a player ever, to let's be honest. But he he just when he got the ball, heavy touches, misplaced passes. He he wasn't effectively doing his job. In fact, he was harming the defense more. Um, and I think that I mean, if you look at like Man City have uh, Fernandinho or, or Rodri, and Liverpool have Fabinho. I think we need someone who can effectively do Dyer's job in in January as as well as a right back. I think that could. Um, as well as a massive mentality change with, among the players, that could help our form change. Well, yeah, but it's the interesting is like with all the players Spurs have been, were linked to and didn't sign, I've never seen Spurs were really linked heavily to that defensive midfield role. And Spurs knew they needed it because when Yama was kind of the only man that's there, and obviously Dyer as well, but and neither of them were like definite. Yeah, when Yama wasn't guaranteed to be there at the, in, by the end of the transfer window, they, they were trying to tell him. Yeah, so I don't know why out of all the players that were being linked and all that, like Dybala and Coutinho and those heavily attacking players that Spurs are actually quite comfortable with, um, they were never being linked to this defensive midfield role, which kind of lots of teams in the league need and kind of is the catalyst for most European giants and football giants. They've all got that unsung catalyst in midfield. You look at Barcelona with Busquets... Even their dream team, they had the likes of Xavi, Iniesta, and Messi. But going, but the man that's kind of held it all together, according to people, and what from you can see, was Busquets. Man City, Fernandinho. He's, he's probably 
Um, I don't know the best in the world and what he does, but I don't know how City could survive without him. And look how they're doing now without him playing every game. Well, I, I, so yeah, that defensive midfield role is a big thing. Yeah, I, I think Spurs should have. I mean, if you look hindsight now, we we should have. Um, I, I don't think they thought Wanyama was going to play the season. I think what they really thought was Ndombele was more defensive. Um, and Ndombele is great, great, great footballer. But I think they thought he had more defensive abilities. And, and they were relying on Sissoko and Winks having um, defensive capabilities. Which Winks isn't really a defensive player. I really like Winks. But, and he was one of, the, one of the players who actually put in a performance, a re- relatively competent performance, performance against Brighton. Um, but he's not, he's not defensive. Um, and I mean, one of the things that Sissoko does very, very well is when we haven't had a right-back over the past few years, we've had Kieran Trippier there, we've had, they, they don't count as right-backs. Sissoko covers their, their, their position and tracks back very well for them. So I think it's important to have Sissoko, but I think, yeah, I don't know who, I don't know who's available in that role to, to play there. But we thought it would be Dyer. Maybe Dyer can get, get back his form and, and, and we can... I, 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 the, the real reason is we need a strong defence so we can build an attack on that. Which what we've always had is that we've always had the strong defence um, and then we had a great attack. Um, this is we're losing this, and I mean it's to do with with the mentality of the players who most. I mean, there's five. I think five. You can count first team players who, who either have like their futures uncertain or or players who don't really want to be there at the club at all, um, and aren't committed to the managers and manager at all. Um, that there's some there's some like stories of of how there's discontent with the manager, um, which I just don't get. Like Pochettino has made these players careers, pretty much all of them. Um, and I think it's it's disgraceful how they, they they can't get themselves motivated to play for him and to play for Tottenham. If they don't want to play for Tottenham, they can all leave, <laughs> all of them, except Harry Kane and Harry Winks and a couple others. I don't want to annoy people here, but um, it was the first NFL game at Tottenham Stadium Ooh. in a sport, in a sport, in this sport. There's a big saying, and in America, I feel like this is a huge thing that they make, and it's called "It's defense wins championships." And you're saying here that Spurs kind of need that, like defending. And also, like look at you look at Arsenal. And the main reason why Arsenal haven't been successful in the past few years has been the bad defending. So it's all down to that. So I think you're right. But Spurs' thing is like they have had a good defense. They've got the best centre back pairing in the world, or one of the best. And I don't understand how one right back can really be causing this problem. Surely it has to be stemming from elsewhere. It's not just, oh, we've got a bad right back, which is why we've lost 7-2 and 3-0 to Brighton. 100%. But, um, 100%. I, I didn't notice when, I didn't understand what you said when you switched into the uh, American there and you said this word, uh, de- defence. Never heard of the concept before. Um, but yeah, you're right. It isn't just a right back. And it isn't, I mean, even if we buy this, this Dyer-esque player and the right back, I don't think our problems would be solved. I think it is a systemic problem right now um, of, of lack of motivation for, for the club and players who think that who see that their future is elsewhere and, and that pro- the project at Tottenham has gone stale. And Pochettino foresaw this in the summer, to be honest. P- Pochettino was w- talking about a painful rebuild. He wanted a Tottenham 2.0 um, who, who players players who didn't want to be there, who, who didn't see their, their long-term future at Tottenham. He wanted them out. He didn't get them out. Um, you can blame players you can blame Levy for that maybe um, but at the end of the day people who are who are learning from this situation potch out um, are I just I just have really really bad understanding of football and that really really f- annoys me um, 
that that you want Poch out, the, one of the greatest managers we've had in our recent history, um, because he hasn't been backed by Levy and hasn't been, and there's a bunch of horrific circumstances which no other manager would do any better. That's the real thing. Is is Allegri or any of these other managers, they wouldn't do any better with these the, the these situations. They wouldn't do any better. Um, Poch is doing the best he can at the moment. Mm, I don't know if you can say he's doing the best he can. That's true. Because, like, motivating your players is a huge thing, and that's kind of one of your roles. So even if you haven't been given that, but still, if you just look at the squad, they should still be winning games against Brighton like this and and beating Newcastle. It's not like oh, because he didn't receive support from the board, they, that's why Spurs lost. Yeah, if you look at the you team, be winning these eight, and the motivating Brighton, the players. Look at the team against Brighton. He put out a team that could win that game comfortably. Yeah. It, it's not. That's not his fault. He hasn't made. I mean, he he made. No, no, no. But motivating your players game. is a big thing. Motivating your players is a big thing, and you saw some of those players were just couldn't care less whatsoever. They Ericsson, don't want to be there example, because they wanted to leave. Doesn't want to be a, there. They didn't get a leave. They, they they didn't get transfer elsewhere. They wanted to leave. Um, that's not his problem. That's not his fault. The the problems that are happening are not Pochettino's fault. And, and I think well, that no, firing partly they are. Anything. You have to blame. I don't think it's one person to blame. No, I think of it's the whole thing at Spurs. The players are to blame. Poch is to blame slightly. And so is obviously... But it, you're right. It, probably, it all stems from the top. And that's how it is with all these clubs. It all comes from the top and how they're running it. And unfortunately, Spurs look like turning into that side, which is being run like a business, rather than being run by a football club. Just literally, as we were saying, they've the NFL, the only reason they're doing it is for the money. They're not doing it for any other reason. 100%. Yeah. They might gain some abroad fans. That's part of it. It's all, how can we go great gaining exposure? How can we gain, um, not how can we win? It's how can we gain gain money, basically. It's being run by a business, Spurs. And that's why um, it's, it's a surprising, and I think you'll start to see Spurs will start cashing in on players and not replacing them so much because they, they're not worried so much about making sure they stay at the top. They're worried about, how, what's the best what's the best way of investment and they've done it through youngsters so why can't they do that again um, Levy is probably thinking uh, well, yeah I think I that Levy's thing is that is that he I think he will worry if we don't get, if, if there's actual danger of us not getting top four which there is looking like there might be Levy starts getting worried and starts looking for, for, for quick fixes and, and pressing the panic button and all those all those sort of things um, because that's where it really hits him if we miss out on top four then this NFL thing, this new stadium, all the financial gains that we're getting from these, from sponsorship deals and Champions League, uh, Champions League football, we wouldn't, ha- we wouldn't get these, champ- these financial gains and we'd be in a real, real mess as a club, which is why Levy will actually worry when there's danger of us not going to Champions League. Um, or, or because Levy wants to sustain this sort of level of, of mediocrity, if you want to call it that, of, of, uh, of comfortably in top four. That, that, that's Levy's ideal position. He doesn't have to push any further to try and to possibly win, possibly try and win the league or not. Um, he's comfortable at top four. I don't think Pochettino is. I think that, that I think that is probably where the conflict arises from. Um, I, I I pray it can be resolved. That there was some there was some some pictures of of um, Pochettino when when in from the new from the Southampton game. Pochettino was celebrating towards the the Levy, the the area in, in the. In the Levy, so the, area, the Levy's area in the stadium, so maybe there's some sort of like pent up aggression there, which I think there must be. Um, but all in all, big problems at Spurs. 
but I think there might be some hope. I, I don't. I think it's all. There's no. There's no hope. There is a little bit of hope. There's a little bit of light at the end tunnel, but we're just nowhere near it at the moment. Well, there's the international break coming up, which is kind of like I feel like it's Spurs' last saving grace. I don't know if kind of you have hope that after the international break, yes, you've got an easy game against Watford, but then Liverpool are coming up, which is like again, it could be the catalyst for the season of if you can beat Liverpool. Can that change the season around? And I feel like you don't want to say that too many times. If we beat this team, will it change it around? But I don't know if there there is a slimmer of hope for Spurs right now. But I don't know. I don't see anything. I th- I feel like it's going. I think, I think it's great what's going on actually. I don't see any need for change. Ericsson's going to leave should, in the. I don't think winter. we should dismiss Watford as an easy team. Just like to say that before before we end, we inevitably lose. Yeah, yeah, they're very difficult. You should see. They've been very good this season. They've been very good. They're the top, top, top team. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think we're lose to them. And Liverpool, I'm not looking forward to, to Anfield. We're just going to get oh, pummeled. Pummeled. I'm not looking forward to that at all. But maybe now with an international break, um, we can have uh, two weeks without Spurs. That, that, that's a positive. Less, less depression in those two weeks. So, now we've got an interview coming up with Daniel Wynn. You have been commentating for Spurs for 19 seasons. Um, congrats on that, I guess. Instagram. Um, you, you are the tr- you are trustee of the Tottenham Tribute Trust. Yeah. And when I was I was thinking about how to introduce him, how, how did you introduce you? I was like, you, this is. I think that the podcast is probably the most appropriate medium for you because your voice is one of the most recognisable voices. I think for Spurs fans, I think people recognise your, your commentary. Two yeah. <laughs> Okay, so before we ruin your day <laughs> by talking about Spurs, um, let's talk about commentating. So right. what you do every game, um, what, is, what is the match day routine and, and what exactly does, the job, does your job entail? Cool, so um, I've changed recently. I was the Spurs TV commentator for 17 years um, and for six of those years it was the away games as well. So um, I'm based on the gantry at White Hart Lane in the old stadium. It was obviously hanging off the roof, the top of the East Stands. Coldest place in the ground, but an amazing view. Um, and did the away games as well for six years. At the beginning of last season, I changed. Um, we're trying to beef up some of the services for the access supporters. So I do a commentary now for the visually impaired. Um, there's two of us that do it. Um, we, we do like they used to do on Radio 5. Um 22 and a half minutes each, um, each half. And then when the other one's commentating, we give analysis. And basically, there's a bunch of blind and visually impaired supporters that come into the ground. They get the atmosphere. They can hear what's going on around them, but they can't see, obviously. So we paint the pictures for them. So it's a different commentary totally to the TV stuff. You know, the TV, the pictures did the talking. Whereas now we are the pictures for them. We are their eyes. So, you know, we had to describe it literally everything what the goalkeepers are wearing different color boots i've got a thing about which players wear gloves i can't stand players that wear gloves right so you know it's that type of thing just painting the pictures that you and i would take for granted being inside the ground wow that's i I didn't know that That, that's really a really good a really good job to do um for you though you've been commentating with spurs for as you say 19 seasons yeah um if you have have you got a, a favorite a favourite match or a favourite piece of commentary? <laughs> favourite piece of commentary? That's not for me to say. I mean, I think the Danny Rose debut goal, I quite enjoyed that um, back in, 
Oh, against his lot uh, in April 2010. Um, I liked it when the Inter Milan game when um, they were European Championships. Van der Vaart ran through and scored. And I remember saying in Tottenham League, the European Champions. I mean, that was quite enjoyable. Um, I'm very lucky. I, I love what I do. Um, there's been some great times. There's been some not so great times. Um, but listen, I'm getting paid to do what I love doing and talking about Tottenham, it's it's the easiest thing in the world. And um, I could talk rubbish for hours and as you're about to hear. So uh, yeah, it it's really good. I just love it. Um favourite games, I think the obviously the Arsenal five one, the Chelsea five one, League Cup semi finals going right the way back. Um yeah, the first goal I did for Spurs TV, the first game I did, it was the the, the first goal that Saturday was going to be the ten thousandth goal in the Premier League. It was December 2001, and Les Ferdinand got it for us against Fulham, a 4-0 win. And it was so noisy, and I heard my producer shout into my headphones, that's the goal, So, at least that's what I thought she said, and as it happens, I guessed right, and I went with it, and that's the 10,000th goal. So, yeah, it was all right. It went well. I'm just wondering, because as a commentator, there's kind yeah. of a bit of press and media surrounding like Yeah. The commentators are allowed to be biased, and whether or not how much it affects like people listening. I don't know if you because you're commentating specifically for Spurs. Yeah. If you're if you're allowed to have that bit of bias and I mean, yeah. on Spurs. I mean, I can say things like we and us. Um, you have to be respectful for the opponents, um, especially on the TV side. The opposition would get a copy of the game. The referees would get a copy of the game. Um, so it's a totally different experience to what you know. Some of my friends inside the ground would would see. I would talk to them after the game, and they see the game totally different. They haven't got the benefit of the instant replays that we get. Um, I'm a Spurs fan. I've been a season ticket holder since I was five years old. About what's that? Ten years ago, right? So um, you know, it, no, I've been going since 1975. So I'm just giving my age away there, right? Um, so yeah, the passion comes out. You may well have heard some of the commentaries. Naturally, when we score a big goal, that it just comes out in your voice. You can't help it. Um, but yeah, you have to be respectful. Like I did the game when Arsenal won the league at White Hart Lane, and you know that wasn't much fun. Um, but what can you do? You have to do it. It's your job. I, I could imagine that. That must have been horrible for you. Yeah. Um, it was. <laughs> um, so. I think we are required to talk about Tottenham. It's not it's not a great, um, very enjoyable thing to do at the moment. Um, but I think we have to sort of analyse the problems. Um, for you, what is what what is going on, and why what what's happened over the past week now for ten goals and all that? I think it's a hangover from the Champions League final. To be honest, that's just an honest reaction. You know, yes, we probably exceeded expectations getting there. We rode our luck getting there. The Ajax, obviously, that 96-minute goal in 95 minutes or five minutes of added on time. The Man City game, we rode our luck a little bit. But we got there um, and it just went horribly wrong that day. And I think as a professional sportsman, they must be thinking, are we going to get another chance? Are we going to get a chance like that again? And you know, Pochettino has spoken openly about the devastating effect that it had on him. And I just think players are coming to terms with it now. It's like, are we going to get another chance? That's what I think it is. Um, there's all sorts of rumours and counter-rumours out there. You know, I don't get involved in any of that. Um, all that I can see is what's in front of me. And it's not been... A, it, it, it's essentially the same team. A couple of different players, obviously. But they're playing like a bunch of strangers at times. And, you know, Alderweireld and Vertonghen. Two, two of the best centre-halves in the country. 
they can't defend at the moment and something's not right. It will get better. You know, we've got Watford next game. Um, no such thing as an open goal, but that's as open goal as you're going to get at the moment. Team bottom of the league. In, watch, you're going to beat us 3-0 now, right? But, um, yeah, so we need to get back on the horse quickly and just um, and get going again. I was going to say, do, do, do you think that there's hope? Do you think there's a light at the end of the tunnel at the moment? Yeah, listen, every club goes through it. I mean, Arsenal went through it over the last couple of years. Man United are going, th- going through it right now. You know, we've had a couple of bad runs in the past. Not as bad as this, obviously, but typically over the last two or three seasons, when we've had a, one or two bad results, we then go on a 10-11 game unbeaten run. So, you know, ever the optimist, you have to be, don't you? It's what keeps you going. So that's what I'm going with. How do you how do you weigh in on the on the sort of uh, speculation now about the, the manager's future? Do you think that it could it, it could happen? Do you think he could go? The managers can go at any time. It, it's not my role to speculate on whether he's the right man or not. He's done fantastically well for us. He lives and breathes lives lives and breathes the club. He's the first one in the training ground every day, and you know he's hurting. You know that. That's obvious. You can see it on his body language when he's sat in the dugout. You know, he's hurting. It's not what he wants. He's a, he's a professional. He wants to win. He wants to excel. And, um, yeah, he will turn it around. Um, I, I don't know. Like, you mentioned, like, Arsenal and Man United have had these bad runner patches. Yeah. I don't know if you can, if you agree with or if you want to see, but if, do you see similarities between... Arsenal's last few years and what happened and currently what's happening at Spurs or do you just that's, think it's all... That's actually a very good question and it kind of links into what Avi just said in relation to the future of the manager. Has he been there too long? Arsene Wenger, he changed your club around, right? You know, I think the press he got at the end was totally unjustified, but I'm on the outside looking in, right? You know, what he did for your football club, he changed it beyond all recognition. And for me, he deserves an immense amount of praise for that. Um, But yes, there are some similarities, perhaps, um, in as much as maybe he's been there too long or maybe the players aren't responding anymore. I don't know. I don't think that's the case. But that's a a school of thought that's out there. You're both on social media. You you would have heard those rumours. Personally, I'm absolutely convinced he's the right man. He's got that team going. He's got rid of the Deadwood before. And I'm sure now he will get those players playing again. So um, whilst there's definitely similarities, I just think, you know, he's been a little bit unlucky with injuries this season. He's brought in two players who have hardly played. Obviously, Sessignon hasn't played. Um, Lo Celso, I think two or three half games here or there. When they're back and running, you know, it gives players something else to think about. They're not just a shoe into the starting eleven anymore. And there's a big squad there. Two years ago, Eric Dyer was one of the first names on the team sheet. Now, you know, he's got to think about it. He's got to work harder in training. And that's got to be a good thing. Um, I mean, so people were talking about all sorts of solutions to the current problems. Do you think maybe um, playing youngsters and playing people like Troy Parrott and, and Tanganga, do, do you think that, that maybe, it's quite extreme, but to just play the kids, as you say, as they say, is, um, do, do you think that, that could be a solution? I think it's a mixture. I think, you know, Tanganga impressed me so much pre-season, as did Parrot. You know, they are potentially first-team players, hopefully for many, many years to come. He tried them in the Carabao Cup. It didn't work that night for whatever reason. 
but there's definitely a hope for them. And, you know, you saw Newcastle yesterday, right? You know, a youngster came in on his debut and he's ended up scoring the winning goal. It's schoolboy's own stuff, as Barry Davis once said. So, um, yes, there's definitely a role for them. And I think, you know, Harry Kane was a young, hungry player at one point. And, you know, Parrot's exactly the same now. And it goes, I go back to what I said a couple of minutes ago. If you can get other players involved, that that gives the established players something else to think about and look over their shoulders and think, I've got to work and give the extra 10% so that these guys don't come in and take my place. Um, yeah, it's, it's real, real problems, but I guess, I think, yeah, I think you've got, you've got a point there. Um, to move on to an issue that I've been quite passionate about. I mean, I've, I, wrote, I wrote an article about it in, in Jewish News. I, I don't know if you read it. I did. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, so you, I know, I know you've been you've been quite passionate about it yourself, and you've talked about it. Um, so I think with, I saw I found an example from, from 2012 when you were talking about it. Um, you, what, what is your position on on? I mean, the, the real question is, is is what do you think about non-Jewish fans singing Yidami? That's the, that's the question. Yes. Yeah. So in another life, I was chairman of the Supporters Trust. So um, I've spoken about it many many times on TV, on radio. Uh, my personal opinion. Um, and a point of law, it's all about context. If Spurs supporters inside the ground use that word to support their club as a point of law, an unequivocal fact, it's not offensive because they're using it as a term of endearment, a badge of honour, a call to arms and all that kind of stuff. And you cannot be prosecuted. It's a fine line, however. If out on the street, some opposing fans... Um, or even Spurs fans use it when they're not supporting their team that's when the problems arise the David Baddiel argument is well if Spurs fans carry on using it then Chelsea fans will use it against them and that's why Baddiel first first started to talk about it because as a Jewish Chelsea fan at Stamford Bridge he was always angry at Chelsea fans oh the year to the year and he felt uncomfortable with that so that's why he started his campaign I, I don't use it myself I personally don't like it and I've, I didn't like my kids using it when they were younger, um, but I accept totally that when Spurs fans inside the ground use it, it's used as as a badge in the same way that some members of the black community use the N-word. But if I was to use that word to them, it would be offensive. Some members of the gay community use the word queer, puff, etc., in their own bars, in their own magazines, in their own um, messages on you know um, social media, etc. But if I was to use that those same terms, it would be offensive, and you know that's the line, that's the limit for me. Do, do you think the word is, is inherently offensive, though? Well, by origins, yes, it is because, and that's why Spurs fans started using it, as you well know, as you put in your article, which I did read a couple of months ago. Um, yes, it's an offensive word. Because and I, but what what troubles me now is that a whole generation of people living in London, living in Great Britain, forget the connotations from 50, 60, 70 years ago. And to me, that troubles me. And I don't want that to be lost. I, I don't want the negative connotations to be forgotten about because too many people were affected by it all those years ago. And that's why I personally choose not to use it. But I would always defend Spurs fans using it while supporting Tottenham. And I think Spurs as a club have got it right by not promoting it, by not selling items of memorabilia, T-shirts, etc. Because to me, that would be one step too far. Do you think there's enough education, though, 
from Tottenham or just from football in general on it because you get fans that have no clue what they're singing. And... Yeah, I agree. I mean, Spurs would say, and I have every sympathy with them, it's not their role to educate the community. They're not there for that. You know, they're there as a football team. Um, you know, Ch- Chelsea, every time we play Tottenham, say that this word shouldn't be used, they will ban it, etc. And Chelsea, as a football club, and I know very, very recently the Chelsea chairman went over to Poland, he went to the camps, and he's seen it, right? And that message is filtering, it, it's filtering, it's filtering down the ranks at Stamford Bridge, and it has to. But it's a society problem, you know. I don't need to tell you the problems in society. You know, look at the Labour Party, right? You know, that's frontline politics. It's It can't get more rife than that. I'm moving on to a man, though, and finishing with a man that can be described with many a word. Um, the man whose name is in the title of the podcast, Sol Campbell. Um, he obviously did what he did. And do you understand or I don't know, what's your opinion on what he did, basically? If you Google Sol Campbell and Tottenham, I was chairman of the trust at the time, spokesman of the supporters trust. And I was the one that was called out when he left. And when he came back and my quotes appeared on the back page of the sun the next day, the ultimate act of betrayal, that was my quote, right? Um, what do I think? Listen, at the time, I'm going to get slaughtered by Spurs fans for this. At the time, from a footballing perspective, I can understand why he made that decision, right? What he should have done is what Steve McMillan did at roughly the same time when he left Liverpool. If he came out and said it, I'm going to be leaving in the summer, we wouldn't have liked it, but you know what? We'd have accepted it. But he lied. He said consistently, I'm not going. I don't need to talk about it in the January because I will, re- I will renew my contract in the, um, in the summer. I'm not going anywhere, not now or in the summer. That was his quote, right? From a footballing perspective, as it was then in 2001, when he left, Arsenal were flying, Arsenal were winning things. You know, Wenger was, you know, revolutionising football at the time. You know, Thierry Henry, yada, 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 right? The French World Cup side and, and everything else that goes with it. You don't need me to labour that point. And Arsenal at the time were more likely to go on to win trophies, as proved to be the case. So from a footballing perspective, as a professional sportsman, I understand why he did it. How he did it, no. Do you, do you think that the fans, uh, some of the songs that they, they sing, are they, do you think that they may be justified or, or are they too far? No, much too far. End of the day, you know, he's a human being. He, he did what he did. He made a mistake. You can boo him, you know, hiss, whatever, right? Make your feelings known. But some of the songs, you know, burning effigies, really? Really? No, too far. I think that that's a, a, a position that, that I, I remember the first bit mainly is that this position that, that, he, that to move to Arsenal was was effectively okay. Is it just he did, he did it the wrong way? Is that what you're saying? Is that how yeah, just, yeah. How, yeah. Look, look right. You know, you draw comparisons to Pat Jennings, right? Pat Jennings left. He went to Arsenal. He's come back and he's a Spurs man and he's a legend. He still works at the club. He's there as a match day host. He's he's got legendary status and rightly so. Why? Because he did it at the right. He did it the right way. Okay, he had an axe to grind and he left Tottenham. He wanted to make a point to the directors at that time in the mid 70s. So he left. And where did he and how could he hurt the Spurs board most? By going to Arsenal. Right. But the way he did it, he didn't. He didn't lie to anybody. He just said, right, I'm going to Arsenal. Campbell did it totally differently. Do you could you see any point in the next 
the nearby future something like that happening again or not? Of a player moving either way? Yeah, of course. Uh, listen, it's happened before uh, and it will happen again. Steve Wolford, Willie Young, Terry Neal, you had George Graham, right? You know, Arsenal men, Spurs men that have gone, that have gone the other way, right? Um, could it happen again? Yeah. Uh, you know, the reality is footballers today, I think, are cut from a different cloth than they were in the 70s. You're never going to see a Ledley King again. You're never going to see a John Terry again. You're never going to see, you know, a David O'Leary, you know, from boy to man, Liam Brady, from boy to man at one club, Stephen Gerrard. I don't think that's going to happen again. You know, that the agents are involved. The majority of them want the big payout. So I, it's I mean, it's quite likely that it could happen again, yes. Uh, that, that, that's a surprisingly um, nuanced take on Sir Campbell from a Spurs fan. I think that, that that's a moment of, of, <laughs> of history, I guess, we've made. Um <laughs> Um, that, that, that's it though thank you very much for coming on we really appreciate thank it no, thank you for having me we've, we've really enjoyed it hope you enjoyed it too sure very much so alright so moving on from Spurs now um, let's talk about the best team in North London clearly uh, Arsenal they also played two games this week won both beat Frankfurt 4-0 and then Premier League game Stand Stan Lee age 4-0 oh yeah I get so confused now with there's so many, these Europa League teams are all the same. Um, but yeah, standing the age 4-0. Uh, and then all these crap Thursday night at home teams. Again, at home again against Bournemouth in the league, 1-1-0. David Luiz getting his first Arsenal goal, which is, you love to see it. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and getting the assist for that was um, Pepe. Um, it's interesting with Pepe. He's been getting a lot of criticism this week. He's, he's doubled his, his assist so record. this season. He's doubled his assist record, but I don't know why that's a joke. Like, he's got just as many assists as Son's got this season, and yeah. outscored so by Ndombele. Why that's such a joke? Like, he's outscored he's by Ndombele. Two, okay, he's been outscored. Okay, fine. David Luiz has got just as many as Ndombele. He hasn't. Ndombele he's a centre back. Did he? Oh, fine. Sure. There's. It's like it's so stupid to start comparing stats when it's like, oh, he's got two and he's got one. Like. Those stats are funny, but they're not like legit stats. Oh, well, look, we have to judge this player based on this. Um, uh, so, yeah, I don't understand. Like, Pepe, he's being judged a lot by Arsenal fans. And it, I don't know which fans in particular, if there's like a specific, um, like, younger fans are blaming him. Or I don't know if, like, if this is an age demographic thing. Maybe some people expect more from others because... It's a common thing in Arsenal's past, like players not adapting to the league very quickly. And it's like, just some examples I wanted to discuss. Like, you look at one of the first, I think, Bruce Rioch's first signing at Arsenal, Dennis Burkamp. Yeah? Spent a lot of money on him. He's a record transfer at the time for Arsenal. He didn't score in his... He, 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 there was a whole thing, oh, he's going to be failed. And I think I heard... Um, I think, I think it was Robbie from Arsenal Fan TV saying in an interview that um, he used to be sitting with an Italian guy or something. We'd love to have, you, have, have a, you on the podcast if you're listening, Robbie. We'd love to have you on the podcast. Um, no, he said like he was he used to sit next to a fan who used to hate on Dennis Bergkamp when he first signed. Oh, he's past his prime, whatever. Dennis Bergkamp didn't score in his, in his first six games for Arsenal. I feel like that fan was definitely clawed. I don't know. I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, Dennis Burkham didn't score in his first six games for Arsenal. Look what happened to him. He scored only 11 goals in his first season. He became an Arsenal legend. Moving on, Thierry Henry 
didn't score in his first eight games for Arsenal. Yeah, was a left winger, became a striker. End of the season, Henri had twenty six goals. Yeah, shuts people up. Robert Perez, another, another, I don't know, big Arsenal signing, but another expensive signing. He didn't. Robert Perez. Um, there was whole the press were moaning about him. He was not physical enough. He wasn't any of that. Look what happened with Robert Perez. He became an Arsenal great. He, like all these players that there's there's clear there's a correlation here that isn't random that players take time to adapt to the Premier League. It's quite a known thing. Some players do take time. Judging a player after eight games, or, and he's not even played all eight, but judging a player so quickly, it's just it's just a bit. I feel it's just a bit stupid from fans and. I feel like it's a, a bad thing you want from a team if if you judge people too quickly. It's a whole thing we've been saying. People are too quick in the currently like with managers and whatnot to judge as soon as something goes wrong. Oh, they're clearly not the right person to do it. But I feel like with Pepe, I feel like it's too early still to judge him. Well, I I don't I think the these stats are all great and that um but like equally David Ospina didn't score in his first eight games for Arsenal. I don't, it doesn't mean that you, I, I'm judging Pepe on last season in Ligue 1. Um, and I don't think that he's going to... I don't know how... What, what is the, the where is success for, for Pepe this season? It's not 20 goals and, and, and whatever it is, 11 assists, whatever he got in... Was it, was it 20 goals and 20 assists he got in, in Ligue 1? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, what's he going to get? Let's say he gets 10 goals. That's decent. It's not 70 million. And it's very clear. That, yes, it's only eight no, games. No, but we were but never he's not a 70 million pound player. They were never expecting him to get as many goals because like we said, also have got... A bunch of players that can score. How many goals is success for, for Pepe this season? I don't think that, I don't think he can be judged based on old stats here. Let's look at how many goals he got. You signed because, because of stats, so you can judge him on no, stats. No, no, here. we have to judge him on his impact in the team. And is he improving the team drastically over someone else? Is a different thing. Well, his impact, whether or not he's his impact 70, is, that, is, is that he's being compared to Chavino. He's Chavino two point and 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 Emery is choosing to 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 keep him on the pitch. No, right, and, and, and that's just on racism. That people comparing him to Javinho. There is nothing else. There's no one going. Oh yeah, he's exactly like Javinho. He's a left winger that happens to be from Ivory Coast. It's just, oh, he's Javinho 2.0. People only say that because basically, basically racism. Like, oh, we well, okay. Let, let's call it. Let's call it Clinton and G 2.0. Happy now. <laughs> you basically taking the just another version of a left winger who happens to be like I think he's from the Ivory Coast. I'm Cameroon. not sure. Cameroon. Okay, fine. <laughs> but you've just done the exact same They're thing. Similar players. No, no one's the... comparing him to Al Shavin. No one's comparing him to those sort of players. They're comparing him. Oh look, look Javino, He's from Ivory Coast. He's black. Let's compare them to. <laughs> it's that they, they both came with high higher expectations and they've not I mean so far they have Pepe hasn't really fulfilled it and I think that is the point I don't think it's the oh look they're two people from the same country I um, haven't no because Andre Ashavin he, they were also expecting things from him and he no one I don't, I don't think anyone's going to do that comparison is a visual similarity I don't think anyone's going to deny that but <laughs> There is definitely not a visual similarity oh, between the, 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 the hair and Pepe the hair is completely different um, but like they play similar in my anyway opinion, moving on from from looks and racial prejudice and all that <laughs> Pepe Pepe has not like he's he's not been brilliant he's not been awful um, they, he's been substituted in his last few games because um, he good I think as long as we're winning the games that's the only thing that I think that matters I don't think it really matters so much about was he worth 72 million or I think it does. any of that 
I think it really does. No, because, I feel like because if if he turns out, let's ima- let's just imagine he he scores let's say four goals a season. Let's underestimate that that, and let's say to, to uh, for argument's sake, he continues to, to produce very little goals and very little assists. Arsenal Arsenal's board and Arsenal's um, Arsenal's tra- tra- uh, transfer making um, decisions are going to be affected by that. Eff- effectively. Post-traumatic stress, stress disorder. It happens when, when it happens when a club made make a massive like Barcelona made a massive signing of Coutinho. It didn't really work out. They've been put off making a massive signing. So that's not only really Barcelona, but Tottenham. Tottenham's a better example because Barcelona just went and signed Antoine Griezmann. Um, but Spurs with with when we had Soldado, um, our record signing completely flopped. I think that they were put off a few years of making a big signing, and that could happen for Arsenal. Is that if Pepe doesn't turn out to be a world beater, which is what he's expected to be, Arsenal could be put off making uh, a massive signing that could change their squad for a few years. Look, so far he's not. He's scored. He's he's, he's got one goal to assess. It's only been eight games. Um, he hasn't. I feel like you can't. I don't know how you can judge. Oh, he's not worth. Like I'm, I get. Like, oh, he might be. This this isn't like what we were expecting. Like straight away and. Oh, he he's he he might not be the option, but for fans to go, yeah, he's definitely we we wasted money on him and all that. It's just like you haven't, so you have to can't judge him. You can't say he's. Well, he's it depends he's, on your expectations, yet. though. It depends if you're expecting a player who was twenty goals a season. You're expecting him to hit the ground running. If he's not, I don't think he'll get 20, 20 goals a season now. I, I could be could be proven wrong, but I don't think he'll get twenty goals a season and 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 his record in 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 the French league. So, so to, in, that, in that way, yeah, they have been let down. Maybe you had lower but expectations. Like I said, who who's who's the people that are making these assumptions? Because Arsenal players historically haven't really hit the ground running. Like Aubameyang is one of the few players that has done that, that has straight away hit the ground running. You're getting someone from the French league, yeah. He's never been in England. He hasn't got the language yet. Um, so what you're saying is, is it, you had low ex- expectations of him, and therefore his his, his expectations haven't been uh, are, are met effectively. So he's an, he's a player well, who's no, not good. In your opinion, you would hope that he'd have more, but to say that he's definitely a waste of money, not definitely. He's definitely the wrong man. Not saying def- I mean, I, I, I'm not saying definitely. Um, I'm just saying it, it looks like that at the moment. Yeah, he, he, could, he could prove me wrong. No, but there is a lot of Arsenal fans that have said, "Oh, why did we sign him? What was the point of that?" Like, should have got Zaha. That's just silly. We probably should have. Yeah. Maybe we should have, but who knows now? If Pepe goes and scores twenty goals this season, the fans are going to be like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I was wrong." Like, no, they're not. They <laughs> they're not. They, there's no saying. There's no saying he's not going to score twenty goals this season. Still, there's mm. still a good chance he could. Yeah, he he could still, and he could prove everyone wrong, but it's not looking good for him. And and for Arsenal's transfer transfer like, abilities in the future, it's not it's not looking good at the moment. But we'll have to see over a whole season. And it, yeah, it is true. You don't want to judge too early. Players have, yeah, as you say, players have but started off I worse. I, I, f- I feel like it. I feel like it doesn't matter that um, if he doesn't perform so well, because as long as we're winning the games and finishing the top four, the club are still going to be willing to spend this money. Still, I feel like they're not going to get worried if we if we don't if we if we fail this season still, and if we don't finish if we finish outside the top four, we don't have Champions League next season. The club are going to be very worried next summer. We can't spend this money again. Look what happened this year. We tried, it didn't work. If we do. And even if Pepe does, I say flop, but I don't know what flop is. I don't know what success is. I don't know what flop is either. Um, That's very clever. Put, put, put no ex- expectations on him and he can't fail. Well, no, I'm saying, I don't know. Like, if he finishes the season with, like, five assists and no goals... That's a fail, but if he gets like six goals and ten assists, I feel like that's 
maybe you you weren't expecting that from him, but that's an that's okay for your first season in the league. Yeah, no one's gonna hate you on it. We've said this. If 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 someone's English, they get all the praise. As soon as someone's not English, they get all this hate and like, oh, they they did it wrong and all that. But also and, now, and, and Dombley got the same hate, but he he shot he shot most of his haters. I don't think Dombley did get any hate. I mean, there was literally uh, was it troops and all these Arsenal fans within within the first like sixty minutes of the Aston Villa game. He didn't look that good, um, and people were like, oh, and Dombley is a, a waste of money. He's a fraud and all that. Yeah, but that's just fans <laughs> making jokes. No one genuinely goes. Oh, and to be fair, in my opinion, Dominic hasn't improved himself that much. He's been okay, but Spurs, look at Spurs. They've not done very well. He can't be doing that well. Um, but Arsenal now, after beating Bournemouth, we've up, we've now, we're now third in the league. Um, people are making jokes like Arsenal don't belong to be there. But why? We've been the third best team in the league. There's not the joke to it. We're only a point behind Man City. Um I've said I think Arsenal have got a chance this season of finishing second. It feels like that season where Liverpool will walk the league and Arsenal will come in second. It will look good on the stats. So, oh, Arsenal came second two years ago, but really Liverpool have walked it and everyone else has just been rubbish, I mean, which is a very of clear possibility. You, you can't on one hand say, don't judge Pepe, it's only eight games in, and then say Liverpool are going to run away the league, it's eight games in. <laughs> Nah, but Liverpool, I feel like it's different because you look at last season, we're comparing things that we've seen and last season they also had, 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 had a lead like this and they let it go. I feel like it's different. Last season they didn't have a huge lead. This is an eight-point lead. They've won every game. Year. They've won every game. They've beaten some top top teams. Man City losing, which is not something we we really saw last they lost year. Last Man City, year, lost six times, I think it was. Okay, but I don't think Man City started slow. Um, they lost to Norwich and they've lost to Wolves. Yeah, Norwich are a team that's in the relegation zone. Yeah, take into account when when Stones and uh, Laporte are back, then most of their problems are gone. I, I, I don't think we should yeah, say that I'm... the league's gone. I, hope, I I I don't really. I've got this sort of like unlike feeling at the bottom of my stomach that Liverpool it might be the Liverpool's the year, and I hope it's not. I really hope it's not. They were unbearable when they won, when they won the Champions League. They'll be like unbearable times a hundred if they win the Premier League, and. Ugh. I pray it doesn't happen. Look, look, coming from Arsenal, I think we'll do all our best to stop Liverpool winning the league. Um, we've already lost to them once. We can only do that twice. Um, so we'll try our best to stop them. Um, I know everyone's... It's a, it's a, it's a big expectation. and it, I understand like, why Man City had it so difficult last year. When you've got that pressure of stopping the teams, it feels difficult coming as the oh, next really? best team. Can you stop them? It's just the pressure's on. And I don't know if Arsenal can handle that pressure of stopping Liverpool. Um, I mean, if we're relying on Arsenal to stop Liverpool in the league, we're all screwed. The whole country's screwed. Liverpool won the league. If we're, it's just Arsenal between Liverpool and the title. I, that's oh, what I no. feel like. It could be that season where Arsenal will finish second and and they could be the team that's a disaster stop them. And obviously Spurs won't be asking then. Uh, but I don't know. I feel like it's difficult. You don't understand that. You don't, you don't understand that pressure. Yeah? You, you, you might get the pressure of being the, the overdogs. Is that a word? When Leicester won the league, um, being second, and I don't know if that's the term, but everyone wanted Leicester to win the league, but um, Spurs were the team stopping them, and no one likes the team that's stopping the underdog. Uh, so, yeah, look, we'll do our best. Um, I can't promise anything. Aubameyang, um, Aubameyang, I feel like, is the, is the, is the man that's going to do it, and maybe some a statue, a knighthood, I don't know what you can get <laughs> if he does it. Um, if, it's, if it's between Arsenal and Liverpool to win the league, 
I will wear a Liverpool kit to, to, to help them and go to Anfield and, cheer and create an atmosphere to help them win the league. <laughs> there's, there's not yeah, even I, close. Yeah, I was wondering. But thankfully, that is a realistic possibility. <laughs> this is an interesting debate because I was thinking, watching Wolves celebrate against Man City, and we can move on now from Arsenal Spurs, but um, watching Wolves beat Man City, I was thinking, as a Wolves fan, yeah, everyone hates Liverpool in this country. It's kind of a thing. No one wants Liverpool to do well, just because it's quite funny. Would you prefer to watch your team lose to help stop another team, even if it's not going to help you? Like, I feel like early on in the season, maybe Wolves do want that. But I'm saying, for Spurs, if we take us now, a few games left of the season, and it's, and it's Spurs, against Liverpool, Spurs against Man City, or Spurs against Arsenal. <laughs> no, Spurs against Man City, and if for Liverpool to win the league, would you take losing that game? Would you want your team to lose? Well, it depends where we were in the... In the... In the like, if in, in the season, if it was like top four final day, we need to win to get top four. No way, I'm, I'll take Liverpool in the league. But if it's if we're guaranteed top four, um, I take a loss that game hundred percent. If 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 our league position is is basically guaranteed, or if even if we're guaranteed out of top four, if our league position is guaranteed on the final day, I'll take a loss one hundred times to just to make sure to make Liverpool top top in the league a hundred percent. What happens, what happens if it comes down to though finishing like even if like let's say third and fourth yeah, but Arsenal the team behind you, are you are you losing that game? It's it's, it's just oh, a moral dilemma. I don't like that question. Like, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Yeah. I feel like I feel like there's something. Surely there's something wrong. Football fans thinking I want to see my team lose to see another team lose. Like I feel like. There's something wrong wanting no, it's that. Like, it's like, <laughs> I don't care if I don't lose, but they'd better, better lose as well. That, it's, it's a good idea. <laughs> it's kind of, if everyone's if everyone's rubbish, if we're rubbish, everyone's rubbish with yeah, us. If I'm good, no one else can be good. That, I, like, I like this philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder, though, from other European countries, because in England, yeah, whenever a European team, for some reason, I always want the English teams to do badly. Even though you want English teams to do well, because yeah, I, you're I, English and... I, I don't want to make this, a statement. This whole thing of like, if there's an English team in the Champions League, oh, back it's an English team. There's no way. Th- th- thankfully, it never happened. But if Arsenal were in the Champions League, I want them to lose every single game. And the same with Liverpool. The same with Chelsea. I don't buy this nonsense about like backing English teams. It's overrated. I don't know if, if they do it in like other countries, but no way I'm backing an English team if it's not Tottenham. Well, I want to move on though from a bit from the English teams and. I don't know what we're not moving on from English teams, but we're moving on from Champions League teams, let's say. And Man United, and I've I feel like Spurs and Man United, the the two banter clubs, let's call them right now. Um, I don't. I, they're both doing horribly, and they're both a bit of a joke. Um, but who's a bigger joke? Um, Man United, they just they look worse than Spurs. I don't know how that's possible, but I, I wouldn't go that far. Cons- Mm. <laughs> Losing to Newcastle is pretty bad. Oh wait, um, <laughs> don't, don't uh-huh. bring it up. Don't bring it up. <laughs> my, my philosophy with Tottenham over the past few days has been: don't think about it at all. They ru- they ruin your weekend. Don't think about Tottenham. Um, See, Harry Kane had that. He got the NFL to watch this week instead of having to focus on the three 0 loss. Oh, I, I, I think at the moment Spurs are probably in a worse state than United, but United are pretty bad. I I. I I think Oli's probably in more danger. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer is more danger of getting sacked than, than Poch. I think Oli could realistically leave. Um, well, yes. But again, Man United have also got that thing where he's a legend of the club. Can you sack him? Yeah. 
you can. Problem. If the truth is, yes, you can. And I feel like Poch, you're right, isn't in that position where, yes, you can sack him because Poch has basically said he's got problems that haven't been met. He's bought, He's got things. So to say to sack him is kind of like, it's kind of like stabbing yourself in the foot because you're kind of going, well, yeah, you're the problem, but really you've been asked to improve things and you haven't done it. And this is coming from a broad point of view. And I think Man United and Spurs and even Arsenal come down to this same problem of the business run like club, Man United. Um, the whole thing is being the business. And that's why, like, I feel like it's quite an interesting debate, which I didn't, I haven't heard before, but I heard it. I forget where about Man United focusing on they need the stocks and all that it's all about ha- making the shareholders of the club happy that's why they can't sack Solskjaer because by sacking Solskjaer you're just going to move well what how are you improving how's it going to improve by sacking him and the board the, the shareholders of the club are they don't know what to do but I feel like I feel like Man United aren't meeting anyone needs. They're not meeting the players. Need. They're the, sorry, the fans needs. They're not meeting. They didn't sign players this summer when they should have. Um, they're having the same problems Spurs had, and it's all this business motivated club. It, it just feels a bit. It's a, just upsetting to see. Like obviously, yeah, it's fun to see clubs fail. Um, the big clubs, but it's not nice to see clubs being destroyed by money motivated people. If you know what I mean. Well, it depends on the club is the real answer um, I'd love to see Arsenal get destroyed by money and it's happened a little bit but I'd, I'd, I'd love to see it happen again on a bigger scale um, but, but to, about that that, oh, that that thing I mean I, I think I, I know where you heard it um, shout out to the, the kickoff and True Geordie he was talking about how um, talking about how Oli is good for the board because he, he keeps them happy um, he keeps the, he, I mean it doesn't get the fans happy at all but he keeps the board happy he's a, he's a yes man is, is the way you put it um, again, shout out to you. Already love, 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 would love to have you in the podcast sometime. Um, <laughs> but we're just um, talking about other people's points and repeating them ourselves. <laughs> not plagiarism. This is definitely not plagiarism. <laughs> Please listen to us. Don't turn off that. No, we're not actually what... frauds. Um, but yeah, I, 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 what, what do you say? Like money motivated clubs. It's a thing. Yeah, my United are, are the the prime example of a like corporatized club. And uh, and and one where the the interest is yeah is as you say stock uh, shareholders and and owners and, and and people who have financial stakes in the club rather than fans, which is an, another argument to put put forward to for um, fans having a financial stake in the club of fan ownership the fifty plus one rules etc etc. Um, if if fans had uh, owning shares like they do in in most German clubs, um, most of the shares are owned by by fans, then. Then you have you have an exa- you have boards decisions like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is not are not made they're not made to, to just to just for the sake of it they're made more thought through is it is is it going to be good for the fans long term um, and I mean I, I've gone it's a little bit of a tangent but yeah. This week's hero goes to Matthew Longstaff, Matty Longstaff, who scored a screamer against Manchester United. He made what? his debut, obviously, as well. What are you saying? 
I've cut out all my jokes. There's literally no jokes there. You were very quiet. No, you were very quiet. I was worried it was the recording. No. Do that again. Just go again. Okay. Um. And now, to finish the show, this week's hero and villain of the week. Um, this week's hero of the week goes to Matthew Longstaff. Matthew Longstaff. I don't know his name. I don't watch Newcastle. Um, <laughs> he scored... No one's seen him play before. <laughs> it's true. It's true. No, not even Newcastle fans knew who he was. Um, it seems that Sean Longstaff has has uh, has spawned a little <laughs> a brother. Um, he scored a screamer on it in his debut against Manchester United. It was a really, really good goal and a really important goal for for Newcastle, probably for Steve Bruce's future because people are starting to doubt him. Um, and it's, I mean, it's it's a it's a really, really great, great story of playing in midfield with your brother against Man United and, and doing that is, is unbelievable. I think I, I mean I think most most people would love to love to experience that. So ho- hopefully Mrs. Longstaff can have some more kids for the sake of Newcastle United and play them all across the all across the pitch. So Newcastle want a team of Longstaffs. That, that's the jury. Um I don't know how that works, but uh yeah. Um the villain of the week is um it's just like football officials in general, like the way they've implemented, they've not really been very consistent with the new rule of when a player substitutes, they have to come off the nearest exit. And basically in the Northern Irish Football League, um, Glen Torren striker Darren Murray got sent off against Cliftonville um, when, because he got sent off because he didn't go off the correct side of the pitch. And it's just like... Sending someone off, like in this game, is a second yellow. So, yeah. But I, then I, I'm also not sure about what the football rules are. Right? Of If you're sent off, but you've, but you've been called to be substituted, are you then substituted and sent off? And is the substitute allowed to come on now? I'm not very sure what happens there. Um, I don't know what what the rule is. Mm, I'm, I, I get I'm not an expert in, in the rules of, rules of football. Um, I... As, you, as you've noticed, if, you, if you've been listening to the podcast over the past few weeks. Um, but it, it, this no, does... If a player's being asked to substitute, are they still on the field? So can they be sent off or not? Well, I, I, I think there was an example of uh, a player who, who went into the changing room, so who, who was sent off, um, sent off for, for a straight red, was called back onto the pitch after VAR reviewed it, and then got a double yellow to go back. I mean, that, that, I saw that happen. So I... It, there is precedent, maybe, for other, other situations. But, no, but if you're being substituted, if you're ready, if your number's been called, can you then be sent off? I'm not sure. I don't think anyone really knows, nor do most officials know these obscure rules, um, and they just make up on the spot based of what do they feel with these obscure rules. But yeah, it's just a bit annoying when officials kind of aren't consistent and then you see something like this happen. So yeah, the football officials, not to give them so much hate, but... Um, they're the villains of the week because of this new rule um, so thank you so much for listening um, we hope you enjoyed please follow us on all our social medias at Soul CA Podcast um, uh, yeah uh, like it um, like comment yeah, subscribe to the YouTube got some videos coming out later today Soul Campbell is a Judas traitor thank you for listening and we'll see you next week goodbye Come on, come on, come on.